All right, it's Toronto Today, and it's Think Tank, and in studio, uh, ladies first, we have Anna Bailau, former deputy mayor, city councilor. Great to have you as well, and you made, um, how would I put it? There you go. You got a fist bump from the other guest who will introduce in a sec. He's making his presence felt, and he gave it a hell of a run to be uh, Toronto mayor, and uh, I thought you're, by the way, we haven't gotten to speak face-to-face since that point, and your speech was amazing on the Monday night. You thanked your supporters. You were classy. You were graceful, and uh, you just ran a great campaign. And, uh, you know, this is a, a great city, and now we need to make sure everybody is rallying behind our city. That's all that matters. Yeah, and we'll talk about that for sure. It's great to have you in. Thank you so great much for me. coming in. And a uh, familiar face and name uh, to anybody getting up even at this hour, certainly on their television. Ben Mulroney is joining <laughs> us, broadcaster and ambassador for the CNIB as well in studio. It's great to have you in. Thanks for I'm responding to, to our here. invitation. Absolutely. I haven't done something like this in about two years, so I'm very excited. <laughs> Yeah, and and as well, like you, you're used to these morning hours. TV people, I always think there's makeup involved. There's producers oh, yeah, look, in their ear. You've, <laughs> I didn't tuck in my shirt. I'm you, good. You've got a ZZ Top beard down this to your is chest. My, I love radio uh, specifically for this reason. It's awesome to have you in. Um, let's talk about labor. Uh, and I want to get out of the gate on this potential CAW strike. We have a lot of city issues to get to. Olivia Chow and Doug Ford meeting today. Something I want to get to as well as stuff from the House of Commons opening. But um, a possible CAW strike at midnight. And it feels like, Anna, we'll start with you. There's been a lot of labor unrest in our city. We saw Metro grocery stores. We've got education unions right now all looking for something. Is this normal? Do we have something sort of in the in the ether with employers battling extra hard with employees and vice versa? What are you spotting here? Well, I think we had a time of great inflation. And unions are just trying to catch up to make sure that uh, the workers are not staying behind. So they have to ensure that the increases are there. And so you have employers that are dealing with unprecedented instability, right? You had a pandemic, they're still dealing with all those issues. And then at the same time, you had very high inflation, uh, workers are dealing with all kinds of different working conditions and uh, unions are fighting for them. So uh, is that what's on the table right now? Are those the issues? Uh, the Trying issue, to catch up to inflation? It, it's pay raise, it's working conditions. Uh, that's uh, that's the, the pay raise is is quite substantial, the pay increase that they're demanding. That the UAW is looking for, yeah. yeah. It's a 20% yeah. start, and then it's yeah. 5% over each year over the next four years. There's always more than pay increase in any yeah. negotiation. Right. I'm sure there's way more complex negotiations. Exactly, yeah. but that, that's always the headline. And I've seen in all these latest negotiations – um, it's always quite significant because inflation has also been so high. So, uh, and employers are dealing with the instability of the markets, right? It's been unstable. So, um, they're. I think they're both trying to reconcile those two issues, and that's why we've been so we've we've seen so much uh, instability and so much, you know, mm. potential strikes. Ben, are you spotting anything that's sort of out there in the in the airspace similar to that? And I wonder if there's some post-pandemic reflection as well. I mean, employers needed employees to buy in to come back into the office or work hybrid or even stay home because you're just as efficient there. Anything you're seeing? Well, you you can't build a a car from home, right? So everyone has to come back into the office. Everyone has to come back into the, uh, uh, it's Ford, right? Yeah, Ford tonight could have 6,000 workers walk out. Yeah, Yeah, like that. That's or on strike. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal. Look, from what I understand, they're very far apart right now. But look, there's there's something happens when this stuff gets into the into the press. Uh, Something happens when this becomes front page news, and they find a way to get closer and closer together. Is this going to last forever? Uh, Probably not. Is it going to last for a long time? I suspect. Um, Mm -hmm. But. 
yeah, I honestly, <laughs> I have no idea. And I think, Anna, in history, there's been times of, of great inflation, even in the late 70s, early 80s. Like if we ask our parents and they tell us about the mortgage payments and the interest rates they had in 1979 or 1982, it's we're talking double digits. It, it even went up pretty high. My first mortgage in the States was 7.5% in 2002. So we went through this run of really low interest rates, no inflation, nice sort of placid, calm waters. Um, and it can change on a dime. Yeah, it can change on a dime. And, and we've been... Uh, avoiding a recession for a long time here mm-hmm. in Canada. That's the other thing. We've been doing quite well. But everybody's saying, you know, sooner or later, you're going to get it. So how are you going to deal with it? So um, all these things, um, I, I think people are looking at it, how to get ready, how to avoid that recession, how to deal with this, how to make sure that workers are not falling behind. And and that's what that's what what's at the table. Yeah. And then it lands, Ben, at all our kitchen tables thinking, um, will that new part for a car be ready or will it be delayed? Yep. Can I buy a new car? We knew during the pandemic supply and demand was was not matching up. And we could we, we certainly couldn't buy electric cars for people that win. And I heard so many friends say, I'll get that EV. And they and then you go into the dealer and they say, ah, that, that's ready in 12, 13 months. Yeah. <laughs> and, and huge supply chain issues that the, yeah. this creates. Right. Because yeah. the especially in the auto industry, that is so interconnected between the states and Canada and, mm-hmm. and even other countries, Mexico and so on. It will create not only issues in these plans, but across mm-hmm. the industry. You're listening to Think Tank on 640 Toronto. We've got Ben Mulroney and a in studio with us. I dirt. I I certainly want to get Anna's perspective on uh, Toronto and violence in our streets because it was certainly something that was a major issue during the mayoral campaign. Um, we saw over the weekend, uh, I just mentioned it earlier, three police officers um, injured in in incidents. One had a bike driven at him. One was stabbed. We've, we've had so many situations like this. But I see in Toronto's entertainment district, when you see that headline, it rattles people because that's where they want to go for a night out. They want to see a play. They want to go to a movie. They're going to meet their friends for dinner. That's sort of downtown core where the sporting events are and everything. I think that gets into people's brains a little bit, similar to some of the violence we saw prior to the the mayoral campaign you engaged in, um, the Kipling subway station where the, the poor, poor mom lost her teenager as well, just sitting there on a Saturday night. I think every resident should be concerned of violence anywhere, but obviously, as a human being, it always t- touches you more if it is like, oh, I could have been there. Yeah, I could have I yeah, exactly. passed by. My, my kids could have been in that subway. Yeah. Uh, my kids could have been going to that bar uh, downtown, and obviously it has a different impact in, 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 in our citizens. Um, obviously, a lot of people saying this is just the city growing and you deal with this. Uh, I'm of the belief that you can't normalize this kind of behavior. And you really need to go at it. Um, and and it, it's a complex issue. Absolutely, you need to go at it with police. You need to understand what are the underlying issues of many of these things. Some of them are mental health related, which we're dealing with a lot of pressures in, in our healthcare system and mental health system and so on. But a lot of it is, you know, how do you deploy the police presence? What kind of presence do you have in our streets? What is happening with our downtown? We, are, we still need with the recovery of our downtown. Not everybody's coming back at the office. Our, is our our entertainment dis, dis, district fully deployed? And the, these incidences are not going to help. No. And 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 the mm-hmm. fact is, there is a microscope on the entertainment district because, like, accessory to that is all the restaurants around the entertainment district. And you're right. Uh, it, it, every act of violence is terrible. However, when it happens downtown, we all think to ourselves, we could have been there. Yeah. And, and that's where the tourists go. That's why they come to town. They come, they don't, they don't come to go to the suburbs. They come 
to go downtown. And if, if, it, if it feels less safe, fewer people will go. And that's just a fundamental fact that we have to, we have to deal with. Yeah. Do you, uh, do either of you, Ben, let's start with you. Have you, do you ever adjust your routine? Do you ever think, we all think time and place and where should I be and where should I not be? What's the time of day? Who am I with? What are the circumstances? Have you made any adjustments at all? Uh, I, I go downtown like noon to two, <laughs> I try, but for me it has more to do with traffic than anything else. Uh, right. That's another factor. <laughs> yeah. That's another factor. What about, what about you, Anna? Do you th- and, and I've, I, I, I haven't made any adjustments, but I have to say that at times I felt a little uncomfortable sometimes uh, on the subway, for example, late at night. There mm-hmm. has been situations that I felt uh, a few months ago uh, uncomfortable. Being a woman, being it was late at night, and, and, and certain behaviors that I was seeing that made me a little bit uncomfortable. And again, like Ben said, with the downtown, same thing with transit. These are things that uh, will make people think twice about yep. using these services and coming to these places. And so, and, and, the, and it's a cyclical, so it just get, gets worse. Less people use it, less people go. Yep more of these uh, uh, accidents are, it, are prone to happen. It ends up becoming, like Ben, that self-fulfilling prophecy that you you end up thinking, because you, you know when you go to other cities or someone says, yeah, I'm going for a weekend to Chicago and or or I'm going to Los Angeles, and you think, well, I know the safe areas there and I know the areas that, that I, just, I, I just don't want to take a wrong turn. Every big city has that. I've heard the stories about San Francisco. My friends right who now, yeah. say don't go there. If you step outside your hotel, Two blocks away, you're going to get robbed. Uh, if you rent a car, it will get stolen. These are the stories that I'm hearing. We are, in Toronto, we're not in the same place, but we're not far off. We have to be very mm. vigilant because those stories can can absolutely happen here. Yeah, and Anna, I know police presence was something talked about during the campaign. How many, where should they be? How do we deploy them? But I also know that that police and their presence affects some people differently. And there is that yeah. that balancing act. I, I'm somebody I feel relieved when I see them. And I feel relieved when I see security at the airport and, and or you go to an international city with a big event and there's there's cops there and you feel safe. Yeah. But not everyone does. Not everyone does. And it's not only police. Right. right. I mean, we have special constables in the city of yeah. Toronto. You have special constables at Toronto Community Housing at at uh, uh, TTC. So, I mean, I would even say like the coordination of all this should be done a lot better so we can do mm. more with what we have, the resources that we have as well. Um, and also it's it's not only that, it's the streets to homes people. It's uh, our, our coordinators that are out there, you know, making sure that uh, they're providing some of these, uh, uh, of these services as well. And, you know, reaching out to youth, reaching out to, the, the, there's so many underlying issues that also need to, uh, to be dealt with that police is a part of it, mm. but it's not the end all and be all. Anna Bailao, Ben Mulroney are with us on Think Tank on 640 Toronto. Um, Anna, meeting today between the Premier and Olivia Chow. And I know you talked about this, about being able to go to the Premier and demand things for Toronto. You were going to ask that the DVP and Gardner be taken back, at least to some extent, by the province. This is this is an important meeting. Characterize for me how, how you view it going between Doug and Olivia today at 1 o'clock. This will set the tone of the relationship. I think this is a set the tone meeting, (laughs) how it's going (laughs) to go. (laughs) Um, I think it is important to identify that they have uh, common goals. And I think the the approach that uh, the mayor and the premier need to look at it is what are the issues that they could work together on? And they do have common goals, housing, 
transit and operating the transit. There's billions of dollars being invested in transit in our city. And the affordability, it's an issue that they both talk about. So if you if you hear the two of them talking about it, they talk about these issues. So let's find the common goals, how to work together on these things. Now, they have different priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it is important to find the common goals uh, and to reach uh, to, in order to to get to the priorities. That but, but Doug's done this before, right? Like he's 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 worked with Justin. Uh, he reached out to Stephen Del Duca, Andrea Horvath. Once they left, right? Once, once they're they mayors, left, now, right? now that they're mayors, like he he has reached out to them. Even even he, as as uh, late as with Deputy Mayor McKelvey when she was the interim yeah. mayor. Um, she was able to get money from Doug Ford. They were short uh, for the smart track, and he came through. So, you know, there is a pattern. It's it's how to set the tone, get the priorities yeah. right. Um, and Toronto is the economic engine of the province, so it is important that that it works, and it has a big issue right here well, in front of us. And b- between his brother and his attempt to to run for mayor, he knows how important this city is, right? Yeah. So yeah. so he's not he's he is not going to uh, take it for granted. Yeah. And if if Olivia is the person that he needs to deal with, then he will. I th- I suspect he will. Is there anything? I'll ask Anna you this: Is there anything to the concept of Doug Ford having any sort of chip on his shoulder about Toronto? He didn't win the mayoral election. He may not have loved how Rob was characterized or treated at various times. And it, it just that's you're a city councilor running in 2018. And all of a sudden signs are out there. You're knocking on doors and all of a sudden there's 25 wards instead of 48. That just seemed to come out of nowhere. And people said, there's, is there some kind of axe to grind? Is there anything to that? Some of these things, uh, Doug Ford was already talking about it as a councillor. So it's his views towards the governance of the city and some of the issues and ways that he would like to see the city. I don't think it's a, you know, anything against the city per se. As as a councillor, he was already yeah. talking about a smaller the 20- government. He was like already that. so. We could see it coming. <laughs> and, and look, he's in his second term. And the second term is, is bigger. The mandate that he has in the second term is far bigger than the first one. So if he, if he did have an axe to grind, he probably left, left that in the first term. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's got, if not carte blanche, pretty close at this point to, 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 uh, to, to build a new relationship with, with Toronto right now. No, and, and he has used that, that, that power to do a lot in Toronto. I don't think there's been a premier that has interfered with issues that touch the city so much. That is, there's no question about it. Um, but um, we've seen that these are important issues for him and we had seen it as a, as a, as a counselor already and as a premier, I don't think he was hiding anything. Yeah. He always said that these were things that, that he was going to do. And now uh, I think it's up to Olivia and uh, him to come together and to uh, address some of these issues. You know, you can't have uh, a mayor and a premier fighting on every front, uh, especially when they have common goals. Like yeah. I said, we've heard them, both of them, talk about these things. So it is important that they move forward and say, okay, we yeah. we both want to build housing. We both want to operate and and build transit. So, you know, is a way to deal with some of the fiscal issues of the city, the province to take some more of the operating costs of the TTC. You know, Toronto is the only city that has a subway in the province. Uh, Or, for example, is it the opportunity for uh, Ontario to take on some costs like the Gardner and the DVP? That's right, that's right, that's right. These are important solutions because they go hand in hand. You know, we have to acknowledge the the province is, he has $22 billion on the bank, uh, the city has a $1.5 billion deficit. There's an affordability crisis. 
I believe that instead of, before going and talking about new taxes, that they should come together and say, yeah. is there a reallocation of things that the city is now paying that should be paid by the province? So I, I just like the fact that you said, before we look at new taxes, let's look at other things. I love that very much. <laughs> well, but it, it felt like that opportunity was there. Like, let's do an internal look. And yeah. I've heard from enough, and like yourself, former city councilors, current city councilors that say, we should go under the hood of the car and just see if we're duplicating anything, see if we're overspending here and there. And I've heard from more than enough people say you're not going to be able to convince the federal or provincial government to give you money unless you even try to do that. If you don't do that, they're not going to write you blank checks anymore. Yeah. They won't. It's it's under the hood. And it, it's we know that there's a lot of services mm -hmm. that the city is doing. Um, that used to be uh, paid and the responsibility of the federal and the provincial government. So given mm -hmm. that the city is in this situation, is growing so fast, it has to respond to the growth that we're having, it has these finan financial situations, is there an opportunity that the governments that have the revenue tools can take on some of yeah. those costs? Yeah. Let's get to the federal government. House of Commons is back at it today. The Conservative Party of Canada with a nine-point lead. want you to hear Pierre Polyever. He did media availability yesterday outside the House of Commons and says this is what needs to be done with housing in Canada. Common sense conservatives have two main priorities. One, reverse the housing hell that Justin Trudeau has caused for Canadians paying mortgages, buying homes, or renting apartments. And two, axing the Trudeau NDP carbon tax to bring down the cost of food, gas, and heat. Okay, Ben, he's laying it out there. Yeah. That message is hitting with it's people resonating. in the polls. There's no question it Absolutely. is. Absolutely, yeah. Um, is there anything the Liberals can do, or is this very much, a, and they, they may be a year away, 18 months away even from an election. I, would, I think you're silly if you count out Justin Trudeau and the Liberals from the he, idea he, he of rebounding the, he the, anyway. He is the single greatest like retail politician that I've ever seen. He can, he, he can connect with people one-on-one -on -one like nobody else. To count him out would be to, to your peril. That being said, uh, I, I do believe that, that Pierre Polyevre is, is building a, a heck of a story behind him. I think he's, I think he's, he's let go of the, um, the smugness and he's really focusing on the pain that people are feeling. And, and that is, that's resonating. Mm. And how do you, how do you view where Trudeau's at right now? Is this a low ebb for him? And when I say he can recover from this, I don't mean another government and 158 seats, but but certainly not getting buried to where the Liberals lose you know 40 to 60 percent of their seats. I think they can recover and that have that not happen, whether he keeps the prime minister's chair or not. I think in 2015 when he came to power, he touched the nerve of Canadians, mm -hmm. and he needs to go back to that and not allow it that allow all that's paid for Polyev. And right now, Polyev, that's what he's doing. He's, he's tapping into what Canadians are feeling on housing, on affordability, on all these issues, and the prime minister needs to reconnect with, with that and, and, and acknowledge that they have a role to play. You know, they, they've taken some really important action, for example, on housing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some issues when he came out and said that it, you know, it, it wasn't a federal responsibility. It's a responsibility of all governments. There to are be a lot of levers that the feds can pull, even though it's not their jurisdiction. There's Absolutely. a lot of levers. So to say that it's yeah. not the, that it's not their domain, yeah. and, uh, and and they did, but the, the, what yeah. they did with the HST was was really important for purpose built rental. You know, people in the sector, 
nonprofit, private sector, everybody had been calling for this for years. But Municipalities it, had been but calling. But it's very hard uh, to, to push back after eight, nine-ish years of, of a government, whether it's liberal or conservative. If this is what we're dealing with today, you have to own it. If, this, if there's a housing crisis today, it's not Pierre's fault. And it may or may not be the liberals' fault, but they do have to own it. it yeah. It, it, it's hard. It, it's it's going to be hard for our government. Um, I usually say, you know, now now that I'm, I'm not running for anything, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I can very openly say that, you know, since the 90s, um, there's never been as much done for housing, but the crisis has not been this bad because we're on a constant catch-up um, because there's been so little and government's stepping away in the 90s. And so now... With the the, the yeah. way the population is increasing, we're we're catching up, and it's 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 not enough. We need such aggressive measures from all yeah. three orders of government right now, uh, in order just to catch up. Look, not if, even if, to get if, ahead. It, look, if the feds are letting in between eight hundred and nine hundred thousand people every year, which I love, this is a country built on immigration. I want more of it. But if you're letting that many people in, you have to have the housing to match it. And, and, and you need the infrastructure. And that's what you're hearing as well from mayors yeah. going, we don't have the electrical grid. We don't have the yeah. water. We don't have the schools. We don't have gyms, restaurants. We don't have the retail yeah. even to handle that many people. We had the mayor of Clarington on, right? Tiny town east of Oshawa. They're going to 200,000 from 100,000 residents within like a four-year span. Yeah. Blows their mind. Yeah. They don't have the, they're not ready for it. They're not ready at all. At, no. And, and no, no one, small towns, big towns, big cities, none of us are ready. And it's we we've put like the horse before the cart we we or the cart before the horse cart before the horse and we like this 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 is a, this is a problem where where if you're going to let the people in then you have to have the housing and the infrastructure for them. All right, these um, I want to get to these Russell Brand accusations because I think it, it tells us something about how we view stories through the media. Russell Brand, famous comedian, everybody knows him. On Friday, he got in front of a story um, involving sexual assault and rape. One woman's accused him of rape, three others of sexual assault. No allegation post-2013, uh, and, and, uh, and but nonetheless serious. Here's James Cleverly, who's British politician, foreign secretary, and he weighed in on uh, BBC's World News Tonight. I think there are some real challenges where you have these very, very acute differentials in power, whether that be in the entertainment industry, whether that be in, in, in politics, and we see this in the commercial world as well. And I think we have to be particularly careful when we listen to the voices of the people who are relatively powerless um, because we I think collectively have missed opportunities to do the right thing and intervene much much earlier and we've got to we've got to be better at this. So do you think there are questions for the industry? Sadly I think there are. Anna these are tough topics um, there's always going to be power dynamics in workplaces and certainly in the, in the entertainment world when accusations like this hit the media there's a rush to public judgment and we know we feel a certain way about it do you feel like we assume the worst right away or with celebrities or are we trying to, you know, give them their moment now and let the facts settle for them for themselves? I think publicly assumes the worst. Yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> we do right away. Um, but I think what we heard is really important is how do we create the space for the witness to come through, um, but at the same time create the space for the truth to come through? Mm -hmm. to come through. For me, I think that's the balance that we need to get out there is you want to have people feel the support to come out in situations like this at whatever time they feel comfortable doing it and not being judged. 
but you, you you also want to make sure that uh, that the truth comes comes through at the uh, at, at uh, through the process as well. It, it, yeah, it feels ahead, like the pendulum has swung back a little bit. I think a few years ago, if if this had happened a, a few years ago, he would have been tarred and feathered and uh, quartered in the town square uh, immediately. Um, and now it feels like there is space for uh, the the uh, accusers to to come forward and uh, and be protected and tell their truth. And he and and, and it looks like this is going to take place in the court of law where it should take place. And a few years ago, that probably wasn't the case. It was it, everything was tried on Twitter. Yeah, and, if, and it, it feels like it feels like maybe a little less of that, a little more of uh, sort of the, the the court of law. And we absolutely, I think, and, and both of you make great points. And Anna, the point is certainly like let's listen to everybody, let's listen right away, as opposed to oh, it's it's old news. Where were you fifteen years ago? Those things don't matter because when we do that, or when we see something go down in the court of public opinion, and somebody doesn't feel heard, there's probably fifty or sixty women that say, "Look what happened to her. I'm not telling my story." Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's one of those things as well, as you say, Ben, that we've got a different media also where he can keep working. He, was, he played a stand-up show to 2,000 people last night. He can keep doing what he's doing, and he's got a voice. As we know, yeah, five years ago, this would have been difficult for people to work with television networks, big big media companies to stay on the air and say what they need to say. But that's... You know, we'll see where it goes. Well, look, look. If if he is found guilty, there's there's nothing that says that he he can't work at some point. Like yeah. th- this notion that everyone needs to be canceled as soon as something goes awry in their life is a fallacy, right? We, we we've got to put that aside. There mm-hmm. is there is uh there is a a system in place to deal with this sort of thing. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Can we fix it? Can we make more space? For uh, for victims or alleged victims to 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 speak their truth, absolutely. But this notion that that the mob has to come and cancel everybody that they yeah. feel has done something wrong without the actual proof being put forth, we got to put that aside. I think it's working better than it ever has, but we can also tweak and and get it going. We're listening more and we're not judging immediately, which yeah. is again part and parcel probably what we should be doing we're out of time thank you both so much for coming in thank you this I really appreciate so much, it man this is a lot of fun and our <laughs> listeners do uh, Ben Mulroney Anna Bailau 